Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back, everyone, to the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, as always, Jesse Collings, and joining me for his return appearance on the show is Case Slow. Case, of course, is of the Open the Voice Gate podcast on the Voices of Wrestling Network. Um like Case, how are you doing? How, how are you here for this return match, right? Yes, I'm thrilled. I, I enjoy this show. There's not a lot of wrestling media that I actively and excitably consume, but this certainly falls on that list. I really enjoyed my appearance the last time, and I, I'm delighted to be back. Yeah, and, and I did the job last time, so I need to get my win back, which is really okay. why you're back. All right, well, look, as, as, long as, as long as you agree to do business the right way, I'm I'm game for just about anything. Yeah, you're not going to be like Ultimate Warrior and uh, refuse to do a job. My goal in life is to not be like Ultimate Warrior. I mean, that's a fair goal. Is that that's it's, look? It, it's it's worked out for me so far. Yeah, that's how I answered my high school yearbook question. Like, what, what's your goal <laughs> in life? It's like to not be like Jim Hellwig. <laughs> and it was very relatable. Everyone understood understood exactly what you were talking about, and and we're we're both better off because of it. Yes, of course. Um, but the theme of today's show is kind of looking at who is going to win Wrestler of the Year. Who do we think should win Wrestler of the Year? And I want to kind of get into some of the philosophy behind how we pick these awards. Now, obviously, it's it's mid-November. It's November 16th while we're recording this. There's still a little bit of time left for some people to make their cases. Obviously, a bulk of the year is done. So... Uh, it might be too late for some people to rise up uh, and kind of steal this award, but we do have a lot of you know major shows. I think pretty much every significant promotion, except really New Japan, has has at least one major show uh, left before the end of the calendar year. Some have multiple, so there's still kind of some plenty of time to pick this out. And I wanted to to preface this by kind of saying, uh, I think like in, in our circle case, a lot of times when we talk about this award, we talk about the, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Award, the Flair Thez Award for Wrestler of the Year. But I kind of wanted to open up the discussion to a little bit broader than that in the sense of that award has some, you know, criteria and a history of who won it. And it, it kind of, I think, sometimes limits the conversation to, you know, only a few people generally really big stars and in, in the handful of biggest promotions in the world. And that's not necessarily uh, like an interesting conversation because we're going to end up talking about the same three people that every other uh, place that talks about that award does. Um, so I kind of wanted to open it up and kind of before we just start throwing names at each other, I'll ask you this. When you think about like who should win a wrestler of the year award, kind of wh what does that mean to you as, as a fan, as a pundit? Like, wh what kind of performer are you thinking about uh, when you think about that person's the wrestler of the year? Well, in an ideal wrestling world, you know, when when everything is going according to plan, 
somebody who's worthy of a title like that, it should be synonymous with the year. When you think of 2003, you think of Kenta Kobashi. When you think of 2005, you think of Samoa Joe. When you think of 2017, you think of Kazuchika Okada. You know, these are the type of things that ideally, you know, I'm not somebody that gets upset when, say, uh, MVP in the NBA and basketball is turned into a narrative-based award. I am fully of the belief that sometimes it is just people's years and that you have fate and media and critics on your side and suddenly four digits can become synonymous with a name and in an ideal wrestling world, we'll be able to point to 2023 and say it was so-and-so's year. It just so happens that 2023 is not the ideal wrestling world. There's chaos amok and I, I don't think this conversation is an easy one. I think this is possibly the most up in the air wrestler of the year, whether it's uh, maybe not most outstanding, but certainly when you dip into any sort of business metric, when you want to have this conversation, one of the more intriguing years there's ever been. Yeah. I came up with kind of a, a short list of, of names that I think would be worth considering. And it, it ended up not being a short list because there are a lot of people on it. And depending on what direction you want to go in, I think there are a lot of viable candidates Um I think I think you touched on something when you mentioned you like kind of like a, th like all yearly awards. This is a narrative award, right? You brought up like the NBA MVP. It's kind of it's often a narrative award, um, which in some ways, yeah. Like look, like jo Jokic was better than Embiid last year, but Jokic had won two in a row, and people decided around the All Star break, Joel Embiid is going to win MVP this year, and it just happened. And that, look, I'm not thrilled about it, but it's it's part of the process. I get it. No pun intended on process. Yeah, oh, yeah. I was to say it, 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 it was literally part of the process. But, uh, <laughs> they, they wish it would have happened about six years ago instead yeah. of last year, but part of the process. Yeah. And, and that's, and I think like when you focus on that, it kind of, in some ways, and, and maybe, and again, this isn't necessarily unfair because it's all about your kind of own philosophy of what this award means. It does kind of penalize like the, the consistently great performers. Um, I think it's going to be pretty difficult for, Kazushka Okada to win one of these awards it kind of would have to be in a year where there are no really strong candidates and he has his kind of normal brilliant year and you're like ah, I guess so we can give it to Okada um just because I think his um consistency and his greatness is essentially taken for granted at this point and it's not interesting to vote for him it's not interesting to really discuss him um we can all acknowledge his greatness and appreciate him. And when he has a great match, we can then recap the match and say, man, how good is Okada? He's great. But the narrative for Okada really isn't there, especially as he kind of continues to, to, to wrestle in new Japan where he's kind of already done everything that he could possibly do. And all he does is consistently wrestle at a high level and, and remain a big star, which of course are not minor things. Um, but it's kind. It is can, kind. Can of, we talk about Okada real quick because he was going to be one of my hot takes on this podcast. Sure, we could talk about him. Okay, I think he has the most underrated candidacy of anybody this year. When you're talking specifically from a Flair Thez lens, but even then, if you want to venture out and just hey, who are the best wrestlers in the world this year? No one is talking about Okada, and part of that is because twelve months is a long time, and his year was so not only front loaded, but it was really primarily the first quarter of the year when he was a top guy drawing really big houses for new Japan that they haven't drawn with Sonata since the champion. And then you look at, you know, some, some stuff in the back half of the year 
with the G1 finals and then what he did for the dynamite at Philadelphia last month. And I can sort of break this down uh, in a more micro sense in just a second once I get your thoughts on this. But no one is talking about Okada. And it hit me when I was preparing for this. That's a glaring omission in this conversation. But it goes back to your point. It's not sexy to vote for Okada. It's not a hot take. It's not going to generate any clicks for you. But he might be the right answer this year. Yeah, and, and and I thought the same thing about him last year. It, 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 this is actually almost even more apparent in Most Outstanding Wrestler, which is a different award for the Observer, which is really just focused on in-ring work in, in the sense that, like, you know, Okada had a had an amazing year. Did people forget about that? And, and I, every year I kind of... Um, I, I, you know, I'll add up my matches that I, that I rated four stars or higher and see which wrestlers had the most and kind of without any real, um, like, uh, outstanding, like, uh, moments, I guess, uh, like Okada always finishes in like the top three and it's like, Oh, Okada had 17, four star plus matches this year. Oh, I, I forgot that he's that, that good because he's been doing it for so long and he is the, uh, he is, you know, the 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 Ted Williams or the Mickey Mantle or, or Willie Mays or like, oh, that. Oh, yeah. And then that year he had in, you know, in 1962, Willie Mays had an, an 8.9 war year. And you're like, oh, OK, uh, yeah, of course he did. And it kind of start you kind of start taking these things for granted. Um, oh, God. I mean, you know, the modern world moves too fast for Okada to be fully recognized for being as great as he is, because there's just. There's so much out there that I, I don't think the newer generation of wrestling fans and, you know, uh, a very bullish thing of us to say, you know, being 24 and you being, you know, I'm 24, you're very young as well. But like the people that are a generation below us, I don't get the impression at any point they're going to sit down on their newly updated New Japan world and go, let me watch 2013 through 2018 New Japan really closely. But you know, I lived through Okada's run. He's the biggest star that I've watched pretty much entirely since he landed back in Japan. I mean, I started following New Japan at the end of 2013. He's one of the greatest wrestlers ever, and we're just kind of beat over the head with it. He doesn't go away. He doesn't get injured. His changes are not uh, drastic by any means. It's just kind of year after year, he's great. And so he's become one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. I think he's one of the 20 greatest wrestlers of all time. But... I think we get we get sick of it. It's interesting. You know, we force ourselves to throw flowers at some people and we get sick of throwing flowers at others. And Okada very much falls into that latter category where I, people people don't care about the praise anymore. They get it. You know, they heard you. But it's it doesn't mean that he's still not as great as he's ever been. Yeah, and I, I think part of part of it for him, too, is also being in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And basically, he's look, he's won the IWGP championship a million times. He's headlined Wrestle Kingdom a million times. Like, it, it, it you know, without and, and I'm not saying he, he obviously doesn't have to leave New Japan to do anything, um, but it's hard for him to kind of set a new narrative for him to seize the headlines back in terms of having like a standout year. If he's just going to continue to be in New Japan Pro Wrestling and kind of continue to 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 rack up the same kind of accolades and have the same kind of moments that he's already had, and from a functional standpoint, there's nothing wrong with that um, at all. But as far as like getting like on the front page of this award conversation, uh, he kind of needs to do that, um, and I think it's just it's it's it, that's part of it is that he's in, um, not just that he's in the same company, but he's in a very um stable and routine oriented company 
where the big moments kind of come at the same time every year. And, um, you know, the oftentimes he's wrestling the same kind of opponents and things like that. I just I think it's difficult for someone like him in the company he's in to kind of seize the the year the way some of the other wrestlers that we're going to talk about can. Oh, oh, God. Yeah. I mean, look, th- think about what Okada's done this year, the back half of the year. He's doing something he's never done before. And what is that? Oh, he's he's in a trios team. You know, he's he's the six man champion with Tanahashi and Ishii. It's like, well, this is this is a new era for Okada. And I might be really into his trios wrestling, but it's like. Okay, that's not flashy. That's no no one no one other than me cares because I'm like, well, you know, it's actually a student of the Baltimore Dragon, so him wrestling trios matches is really interesting to me. It's like that that's what we're at where Okada's done everything to where now they're just throwing like maybe he's a trios guy at the wall and seeing if that sticks. Yeah, and you know he did he did, you know he wrestled Brian Danielson at at Forbidden Door, and he's I guess he's going to be wrestling Brian Danielson again on January fourth. Um, that won't and possibly in the main event of Tokyo Dome, which I think is a very interesting wrinkle. Yeah, I I would be surprised if he actually closes that show. I think that what he said, so for those who don't know, he said something in the media earlier this week saying that he would like the idea of putting up, uh, he'd be open to the idea of a fan vote for what should be the main event of Wrestle Kingdom, the Naito versus Sonata match for the world title or his match versus Brian Danielson. And obviously that's alluding to the time that Okada was voted out of the Wrestle Kingdom main event in favor of Shinsuke Nakamura and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um which was, and that was that was 10 years ago, which yeah. makes me feel like I'm close to the grave. I can't believe that was 10 years ago. Yeah, right. And it's a um and so so and it's an interesting thing. Like I, you know, I brought this up um during my Hall of Fame episode with with um Adam Berger that we did a couple weeks which ago. Which was excellent, by the way. Thank you, Case. I appreciate it. And Case, you were excellent on the Voice of Wrestling uh Hall of Fame, the flagship wrestling's Hall of Fame shows, do, you know, making your debut talking about the Jap- Japan region. I thought you were excellent. Thank well. you. I, I appreciate that. I, I know I hurt some people's feelings, but uh, I, I had a very good time doing that show. Right. And, and, and you know, so, so, you know, like I brought, I brought up like Anoki and Sakaguchi as like their Hall of Fame candidacy. And I just, I would think like, if you're, if you're voting based on like the criteria of the Hall of Fame, like were these people uh, uh, really, uh, really excellent performers and did they draw really well and did they have historical significance i would say Inoki and sakaguchi for their time period were excellent as as a working tag team and they were certainly huge draws for an incredibly long period of time basically from like 1968 up through 1990 um and like but it's incredibly boring to vote for them so they get like almost no traction on the ballot um because oh like what do you you want to vote for Inoki and like Inoki's like chosen tag team partner it's really just kind of like voting for Inoki again it's not exciting it's not interesting you're not doing anything new to to, to say you know what Inoki and Sakaguchi they should be in the Hall of Fame uh so I don't feel like they get any traction even though I feel like if you were to look at their case it would be fairly strong and Okada is kind of like another example of that is someone who's like it's really uninteresting to make a case for Okada it's really boring to vote for him no one is going to be like giving you like a, a golf clap for, for, for making an argument for Okada. Um, because I think everyone that is, you know, seriously involved in these conversations understands when you say, Oh, I think Kazushika Okada has a strong case for, for wrestler of the year. Everyone goes, Oh yeah, yeah, he definitely does. He definitely does. And then we'll move on to talking about somebody else. Yeah. Well, let, let's look at his year from a micro sense real quick. So let's, let's put on our flare Thes goggles and break this down because I said, 
Speaking of the aforementioned Hall of Fame, and we're recording this mere hours before that issue is released, which, uh, depending on who gets in and who doesn't, will drastically affect my mood for the next week. But you know, I talked about when I wrote about Roman Reigns and how I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. You know, he will probably win Flair Thez this year. And I think it's the weakest, it's at least the weakest Flair Thez class of my lifetime, uh, 24 years, 1999. No one, no one really jumps at that. You know, I don't look at Reigns as a viable candidate. AEW, I really struggle with just because I've personally not enjoyed the product this year. There's no one in Ring of Honor. There's no hot indie draw. Dragon Gate, I want to talk about the Dragon Gate guys in relation to Wrestler of the Year, but I, I can't vote for their champion for Flair Thez. Triple uh, A is a mess. CMLL, we'll obviously talk about here with Mystico in a minute. But it, it, there's just a lot of companies where it's just like, oh, that's their top guy this year. But with Okada, you have the Wrestle Kingdom main event. He and Jay White at Wrestle Kingdom, I think, to 26,000 fans this year, which is a really good number. Uh, obviously, that was aided by Osprey and Omega, which we can talk about in a little bit. But he headlines Wrestle Kingdom. Great number on that show. He does 4,055 fans at New Beginning in Osaka with he and Shingo in the main event. That was on par with what Osprey and Umino just did in that building and ahead of both of the G1 shows in that building this year. There is Okada versus Kiyomiya at the Mudo retirement show. Obviously, the draw there is Mudo, but that was the hottest thing on that show, and I think that worth, uh, that, that's deserving of a mention there. In Sumo Hall in April, they do 6,510 fans for Okada versus Sonata for the IWGP belt. When they ran for uh, uh, what the King of Pro Wrestling, whatever the October show is, for Sonata and Evil in the main event, that show did 5,002 fans, so plus 1,500 for Okada in the main event compared to what they did in October. He headlines Forbidden Door 2, which was a massive business success. He headlines Altogether 3, which is another 6,500 fans in that building. He headlined the G1 Finals, which did 8,000 fans. He and Naito. And then he moved nearly 1,000 tickets after his name was announced for the Dynamite in Philadelphia this year. Again, he is not the sexy pick. I understand why people aren't thinking about him. He might be the right pick for Flair Thez this year because he's had a great year. He has matched the year uh, candidates. You know, he and Naito and he and Shingo from February, I think, are up there. And he has been a clear, clear business mover and a positive uh, for New Japan's business in particular, especially when you look at what Sonata's done with his time as champion. Yeah, so Okada, like you, the argument for Okada, like you said, is 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 kind of stepping into where you feel like there's not really a super strong candidate out there which opens the door for someone like okada who's kind of the steady pair of hands and you can never go wrong casting a vote towards okada um and you can just look up and down and you could make a case that he it maybe tails off at the back end of the year a little bit um well he, he does he does which is more so due to again now he's the the trios champion you know there's less of a focus on him and more of a focus on sonata and I think we have numbers to say, hey, maybe that's not the right move for New Japan's business. Mm -hmm. And but but I guess I guess it tail it definitely tails off as he's not in the main event. But if you look at some of the other strong contenders, some of them miss time due to injury. Some of the time, some of these people just aren't around. Um, so in a way, I you could almost say over a twelve month period, Okada is probably one of the more consistent, durable entities that we have. Um, as far as serious candidates go. Yeah, very much so. Um, so let's, let's, uh, I wanted to, you mentioned, you brought up kind of Roman Reigns, who you think is going to win this award, which I'm not so sure about, um, or you think he'll win Flair Thez, 
I, um, I think he'll wear. I'll think he'll win Flair Fez just because of it's Dave's audience, and I think that is a very pro Reigns audience. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm off base, but I think that crowd right now is really into all of that stuff. And you know, I look, I my my disdain for every branch of the WWE tree, I think is well known. It's not a promotion I really respect. It's not a promotion that I think deserves any admiration, but Reigns is the guy. And for some reason, people think he's this transcendent business star, even though he's wrestled uh, a total of 11 matches this year. And when he's not in the ring uh, with either Cody Rhodes, Sami Zayn, or the SummerSlam show, which credit to them, They've been able to build out similar to WrestleMania where people buy SummerSlam tickets before any matches are announced. I just, I, I think this guy's case just completely and utterly falls apart. I, I but I think he'll win. Right. Well, they, I only say that I, I, I thought he would definitely waltz before, but having listened to Dave's audio recently, Dave is not necessarily a supporter of, of Reigns for that. Okay. Award. That, that's good and to know. He's publicly said at least um, that he thinks that, you know, the limited number of matches, especially when compared to someone like Will Ospreay, um, there's just a huge gap there. And you mentioned when talking about Okada, like kind of how his year and especially like the first quarter of the year is kind of the dominant aspect of uh, the year. And, and that matters when we're talking about this kind of award, when we're voting on this, we're voting on it at the end of the year. And so I think in Reigns' case, this is coming at a very bad time for him making that case, I think. If this was, if we were voting on this halfway through the year, like at the end of June, or we were voting on it after SummerSlam, I would feel very confident saying Reigns is probably going to win this award. But really, since SummerSlam wrapped up, um, really, if you just look at the night of SummerSlam, what we have is a, a pretty bad match against Jey Uso in a, in a finish in a match that really wasn't well-received even amongst WWE hardcore fans. And then he only has one match since then that made tape, and that was the LA Night match um, at Crown Jewel, which, again, did, was not well-received. Um, so we're talking about really only one match and kind of fatigue. I, th- I do get the sense that even the hardcore fan base has been fatigued by Reigns not being around, Reigns isn't going to be at Survivor Series. He's pretty much, his year is done. He's not building his case anymore. And so now we're going to have basically two months where Reigns is nowhere to be found. And then we're going to be asked to vote on wrestler of the year. And and I would think that that is coming at a very bad time for him, as opposed to some of the highs that he was riding earlier this year, like after WrestleMania. Um, so so here's the problem with that, even though I agree with everything you just said, is we have to go back to how we started this conversation, which is that this is a narrative-based award. And I think there's two issues at play here. One, I think a lot of people are going to stare in their Gmail come December, come early January, and they're going to go, if not Reigns, then who? Because there's no obvious candidate in New Japan. We'll talk about Osprey. I think his business acumen this year is severely underrated. I think people look at him as a as a work candidate and not a business candidate, which I think is a mistake. There's not going to be enough groundswell support for somebody like Mystico to win. And who has dominated headlines this year? It's been CM Punk and it's been Roman Reigns. You can't vote for CM Punk, so people are going to vote for Roman Reigns. It, it comes back to the narrative here. The other part of that is that people like you and me, 
and people that listen to the flagship and people that have a clue know, hey, once you start to dig into his drawing record, it falls apart. He's not this white hot superstar that everybody thinks he is. But there is a narrative out there that WWE is the place to be. He is the top star and thus he should be the top guy and he should be the wrestler of the year. I disagree with all of the points there, but I think the general public, whereas maybe the Hall of Fame skews a little bit more uh, into people like our sensibilities, a little bit more hardcore, these general wrestler of the year awards, I still think Reigns is a shoo-in because if not him, then who? I think that's the question a lot of people are going to ask, and there's not that obvious second uh, pick for a lot of people. Yeah, and and we're not talking about. I understand your point. We're not talking, but we are. We're not talking about the general public here. In like, this is going to be like a vote on WWE's Twitter account or something like this. This is observer subscribers. But do you um, think? Do do you think the current observer base is? How do I want to phrase this? Do you think there's a drastic difference between the people that listen to this podcast and the people that listen to Brian and? Dave because I do I think Brian and Dave hit like casual leaning hardcore uh, wrestling fans and I think you're deep in the weeds and I think there's more and more people that might enjoy and listen to Brian and Dave three times a week or however often they record than people that like you and I that are on this podcast and listen to podcasts like this I think we're obviously deeper but I don't I don't I don't think that we're that much deeper. I mean, if you look at the last few years, WWE has not fared well in the Observer Awards. Period. But there's been an uh, there's been an obvious counter to that, which is that AEW was on a historically great run. And when there's not when there's not obvious AEW candidates, it's not like that Observer uh, base goes, "All right, let's fire up CMLL on Fridays." Well, they've I mean, now, New Japan reverted back to before, okay. What's going on in WWE? Well, before AEW took off, I feel like New Japan did very well in the awards. It was it was the obvious counter, but I don't think I don't think there's that obvious number two this year. That's the problem. And, yeah, because Mexico's I, ignored. New Japan's weird. Like you know, I love half of New Japan shows. I hate the other half. And AEW is just a mess. Yeah, and, the, and, the, and this is something we talk about these awards all the time. Is um, it's like politics, right? Who are we going to have people that end up splitting votes among certain parties that kind of muck things up, right? Mm-hmm. I think the the fervent, I don't like WWE, I don't like Roman Reigns voters that are are maybe going to vote for someone from AEW. Um, and I think AEW probably has like three or four candidates that might end up kind of splitting votes. Um, and I think some of those people, you know, some of them will go to New Japan and I think New Japan is has at least a couple of candidates that are probably going to split votes. Um, like anyone, but there's no. But is there anybody? And this is a, this is a question because you, you you would know better than me. Is there anybody else in WWE? I mean, maybe Becky Lynch, but anybody else that you think would receive Flair Thesmos? I mean, maybe Becky, maybe Cody, but there's oh, not a vote splitter there. Roman's the face of that promotion. I, and I he, think I think Roman is presented as the face of that promotion, yeah. and would I would probably say he's going to get the most votes. I, I would not rule out Cody. Um, you know, because, it'd, be, it'd be interesting if Reigns ends up with like more first place votes, but Osprey beats him in votes total. I could see that happening where, you know, there's just a, a certain segment of the population where they go Reigns is number one. He's the guy. But there's enough people like you or me, or I don't want to speak for you, but enough people like me who leave him off entirely that even his first place votes, which way more obviously 
don't carry the weight of him to the top of the uh, to the top of the votes. Oh, a 1991 NBA MVP scenario where Charles Barkley <laughs> got the most votes. Of course. <laughs> um, but Magic Magic Johnson ended up get, winning the award despite Charles Barkley getting the most votes. The um, yeah, I mean, I think Cody has a real case, especially among the observer reading WWE fans that are going to vote for someone from WWE. Uh, I think Cody's work is a lot stronger. I think Cody's been much more of a consistent player in terms of being on television each week and having a show built around him. Uh, and I think that, that, that in a lot of ways, Cody is going to finish again, the timing matters here. I think if it was six, if it was mid year, I think reigns waltzes to this, but I do think his last six months, basically being a big nothing burger um really will impact people's perceptions of him and and maybe it's not enough maybe it just there's he he they coalesce around you know Roman Reigns and and all the WWE fans and they push him over the top for Flarethes um and and that's the case but I, I'm not I would not be giving him my award I know you wouldn't either I think that as you mentioned his drawing case has been overstated in a lot of different ways i think there are so many factors in play beyond him that leads that have led to wwe's positive business metrics going up um let me ask you because i don't know where you stand on him like if you were building out your top three or your top five or your top ten and this is again this is all encompassing if you don't want to say flair thez but you know we're not talking about just in ring but in ring and business is is he a top 10 guy for you or is he not even on your radar i don't i don't know how you feel about him i mean i i really hate his performance okay so so it would be like at some point it would become kind of absurd to say like okay obviously this guy is a big star and if we were to go further and further down the list and i'm tossing out these names and i'm like i don't know orange cassidy over roman reigns i'm not sure um but i i really I think he's the shits. Like I, he's think, an awful wrestler, and this is he, this is one of the he, things. This I incarnation of him, this incarnation of him, is awful. And I also think that, and we could people can talk about his aura, and they can talk about his presence. I think that in his feuds this year, everybody else has been doing the the heavy lifting. I think in his feud with Sami Zayn, that was all Sami Zayn really doing most of the lifting. Dude, I the think Sami that... Zayn erasure is crazy. The fact yeah. that now, like, people Hall of Fame season just decided to discredit Sami Zayn for everything he did, I'm I'm absolutely floored by it. I really can't believe that narrative took hold the way that it did. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I thought Cody carried a lot of, you know, that feud leading up to WrestleMania, and I think Jey Uso and the Uso brothers in general did most of the work in the, uh, you know, the the, the the angle leading up to SummerSlam. So I think that, and obviously he's the central presence and he has, um, this role is a better utilization for what charisma he has. But if I were to look at like, I don't think his, his in-ring work is not compelling. I don't think his promos are compelling. And I think if you want to say this whole bloodline storyline is, 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 is overall compelling and has got, gotten a lot of interest and there are a lot of business metrics that suggest that it has. I think a lot of that has to do with these other people doing a lot of the heavy lifting in these promo segments and these angles and things like that. Um, it's so interesting, right? Sami Zayn joins the fold. And the narrative changes on the bloodline situation. They go to Cody and it stays positive. 
all of a sudden you go to the Uso and Reigns is put back as the primary, let's say, content driver, and people lose interest again. It's it's crazy how that works. Yeah, and I so so I just from a performance standpoint, I don't think he's done like the Sami Zayn match is 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 a legitimately good match. Um, the the Cody WrestleMania match I thought was trending towards being very very good, and then they just have the laziest dumbest ending in the world that just totally <laughs> took me out of it. Like that match I thought was like gonna be so great because I thought if Cody goes over clean here, this is like a borderline borderline five star match because it was really perfectly done. And then they're just like, ah, actually Solo's gonna hit him with the thumb and Roman's gonna pin him. And like that was just like I was looking at that and I was like, you know what? I'm going three three and three quarter stars. I'm not even giving that four stars, even though I thought it was like a match of the year contender until the finish um, <laughs> because it was just such. It was so bad and it let the air out of the building and everyone just went home pissed. And but his 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 in-ring work is is not interesting. It's not compelling. I don't think his promos are, are anything great. So if we're just talking about performance standpoint, I think there's nothing there. Um he also just hasn't wrestled at all. No, I eleven think, matches and yeah. I think one on a house show, so ten televised. Yeah, I think there might be under ten televised. Let me, I'm on his cage match right now. We had Royal Rumble, Elimination Chamber. There was a house show there. A house show there. Yeah, he had like seven televised matches this year. Yeah, so we're talking about very minimal amount of matches here. Um, and if we're talking about Flair Thez, there is, I think, the example that I've heard of somebody who didn't wrestle many matches and still won this award is Chris Jericho back in 2019. And to me, if we're going to use that as an example, I think that year is a great example of a, a known quantity in Chris Jericho, someone who's been around for decades up until that point, but doing so much new stuff that he really put an incredible imprint on the year and seized the narrative, right? He went to New Japan, which nobody saw coming. And he had that, you know, the excellent match at the Tokyo Dome. And then he's involved with the formation of AEW and he's wrestling on their, you know, limited amount of dates because they weren't even doing TV until October, but was, you know, on all of their shows up until that point. He's their first champion. He was really the, the heart and soul of the first several months of that promotion. And so, like, it's like, okay, he only wrestled, I think he wrestled under 20 matches that year. But it's wrestled like 12 total. Yeah, so he wrestled only 12 matches that year. Um, but to me, he had such a massive imprint on the year from a business perspective, from a personality perspective. All of his matches that year were very memorable. And to me, it's like they're to it's totally incomparable than to the year that Reigns has had. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great comp. That's something I hadn't really thought of. Jericho 2019 is the perfect example, but all like all of these were successes. It was the Naito match. It was the Omega match at Dell or nothing. It was the Okada match, which wasn't a very good match, but it was still the headline uh, headlining match on Dominion. And it drew a nice house. Adam page for the first all out headlines, the first dynamite. He headlines that dynamite in Philly, him and Darby Allen in the street fight, which I think is a historically great and important AEW match. And then the rest of the year, you know, he's doing stuff with Sammy Guevara and he has the Cody defense. And then he has this jungle boy match at the end of the year. Like, yeah, that's the perfect comp because Jericho only wrestled 12 times, but he was effective and you saw a difference in his work. And I think he was a, a positive attribute to both New Japan 
and to AEW. Yeah, and he was, I, I can't say the same about Reigns. And he wasn't like three years into the same kind of title reign. He was out doing things that we had never seen him do no, that before. Was the, the story was like, oh my God, Chris Jericho reinvented himself again. Not just reinvented himself. Like he was... He literally, like, I think we'll, we can, you can look back at that year, like 2019 Chris Jericho and be like, what, uh, what a, like literally an incredible year when you think of how it started and how it finished. Like it's, it starts with that match at the Tokyo Dome and then it, it finishes with the, you know, he's putting over, or he didn't put over Jungle Boy, but he's wrestling, you know, Jack he, Perry. He's, he's helping make Jungle Boy, he's helping trying to make Scorpio Sky. He and Cody are involved in a huge story. Yeah, there's, and he's, there's he's, stuff there. He's helping found like the most important wrestling company to be founded in like the last 20 years. Yeah, like, that's that's a great comp. That's a great call. Well, and it's only and I only bring that up because it's it's been mentioned like, well, oh, like, well, if for people who say that, well, Roman can't win the award because he's only wrestled, you know, 11 matches and people are like, well, Chris Jericho won the award in 2019 and he only wrestled 12 matches. And I'm like, and so I just wanted to point out, like, I think those are for very, very different circumstances. In well, terms yeah, I mean, look, look, you know, in terms of match quality, it's like, OK, the Naito match was great. O- Omega double or nothing was great. He and Paige at All Out, I remember being pretty good. I like the main event of the first episode of Dynamite, which was Jericho Ortiz and Santana versus the Elite. I love that Darby match. The Cody match was pretty good. And I I think that Scorpio Sky AEW world title match was pretty decent as well. So, yeah, I mean, half of his matches, I would register as being very good or great. And I know there are some people that like that Okada match way more than I did. Yeah, so to me, that's like we're talking about like a minimal usage it's, you don't have to wrestle i know it's the flair fez award you don't you don't have to wrestle 300 matches a year uh to win the award but i do think that you need to if you're going to be limited in your matches you need to be doing some really interesting exciting stuff and i think you maybe for the first half of the year you can say that roman reigns was involved in that because the Sami Zayn stuff was very exciting um the cody match was as well but after that it really peters out he really just has that that jay uso match and that's it um, so I don't personally view him as, as that strong of a candidate. Um, I'm going to ask you a question here, um, to you, and this is, this is an interesting question. And it also comes up a lot during the hall of fame season, but like, do kayfabe accomplishments matter? Um, I think, the- I, I think they matter. I don't think they matter a ton, but it's almost like it matters if you're uh, a wrestler doing smaller promotions. Cause think about Ricochet in 2014, you can't point to him as like, well, he drew this 10,000 you know, seat house and he drew this million dollar gate, but also he was the first guy that year. He won the Dragon Gate USA world title and the Dragon Gate world title simultaneously, which he's the only guy to ever do that. He won Bola. He won super juniors. He was everywhere in the world being the top guy wherever he went. And so in that context, yeah, I absolutely think it's relevant. Yeah. Well, what it does, I think, is it helps set that narrative that we were talking about. It doesn't necessarily, you know, we're never going to, you're never going to win an argument by being like, well, they won the world title, so they have to be the best because we're not like a a PWI list. Um, But I do think that, you can't dismiss them entirely because I do think that they help set up whose year it was because fans remember who won titles and fans are, or they should at least if they're handled correctly, they should remember when a guy won a title or big title defenses or someone having a long title reign or, or, or things like that. When you were talking about these wrestler of the year award kind of 
things and you mentioned like 2003 kento kobashi and it's like okay what what happened that oh kento kobashi had the very memorable run you know which with the ghc title like that's that's kind of how we define some of these years um you know oh 1993 vader of course that was when he was you know wcw he was the world champion there like you remember kayfabe accomplishments a lot when you look at these super memorable wrestling years and i think that is also important yeah very uh, much so and so in 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 part of that and part of the narrative of this award is much like kind of the nba mvp award or other mvp awards in other sports you look we often look at like somebody who made this big jump from being maybe an all-star to uh best player in the league kind of conversation um and in wrestling, we can kind of look at who so far this year has kind of gone from being pushed in one way to being firmly entrenched as one of the the pillars of their company that they work in or something like that. And I think this year has actually been really productive in that end. Now, we can get into some of these names and we can probably point to some of them where it hasn't worked out. But I just coming up with a list of wrestlers who wrestle in in in, in you know major somewhat major promotions that I think are now going forward, you know perennial main event acts in those promotions at least. There's been quite a few of them this year. Probably it feels like more than in recent years, especially in Japan, where it seems like a lot of promotions are looking at getting younger or trying to push new names after maybe relying too much on wrestlers that are over the age of 40 but i was just like i just came up with this list and 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 there's i'm sure there's more of them but um you know madoka kakuda um who obviously i know you're going to talk about in a second mjf sonata in new japan yuma aoyaki in all japan jake lee who was pushed hard in, in all japan but also you know jumps to noah and gets pushed really hard there I think to a lesser extent, maybe you could say that Rhea Ripley has has gone up a level in terms of being taken seriously and is now kind of in the main event level in WWE. Uh, to a lesser extent, you could say someone like Carmelo Hayes and NXT is now kind of at the pinnacle of that promotion, which if you look at, if you want to say who has raised business this year, you could point to Carmelo Hayes as, as NXT champion as being hugely beneficial if you want to go that route. I think there's a lot of noise with those numbers, but you can make an argument. Or even someone like Chris Brooks in DDT kind of going up a level to being kind of firmly established as one of the top wrestlers in that promotion. I think there's a lot of names this year. Now, obviously... Some of them have been less successful than others in terms of driving business forward. But I think that we have seen a lot of wrestlers this year jump forward up to kind of the top rung of whatever promotion that they're in. I think you just accurately defined why I've struggled enjoying wrestling for parts of 2023 because Sonata and Jake Lee are on that list. <laughs> and it's uh, it, it's created some, some viewing blockers for me in certain promotions. Uh, but I do think All Japan really stuck the landing with Aoyagi. You know, I, I say those on Open the Voice Gate all the time. The This era of All Japan, you know, the Miyohara-led era of All Japan, it's always a promotion I've respected. I just enjoy it less than everybody else. I always say I'm a quarter star lower on every Miyohara match than everybody else. I don't think he's bad. I think he's excellent, actually. It's just never been my bread and butter the way that it is for other people. But this year, and especially over the last few months, 
All Japan has really channeled something where their roster feels fresh and exciting. Their business is going up. They're doing some exciting numbers, not only in Tokyo, but outside of Tokyo, which I think is good uh, for the overall industry because no one outside of New Japan and Dragon Gate really does well outside of Tokyo. And Aoyagi has been a big part of that. So he is probably, if I was going to crown somebody as putting them on the top of that list, it would be him. Yeah, and I think... For me, it's helped kind of re, re, redefine All Japan Pro Wrestling. For So like my experience watching All Japan in real time, right? I started watching when Aki Bono was the world champion. And I was really just watching it because I felt like as I was like wading into Puro, I was like, you got to watch All Japan Pro Wrestling. Got to. Yeah, you know, I completely understand. Yeah, like, oh, I'm watching New Japan. I've got to watch All Japan without really fully understanding that All Japan is is like basically an indie at this point. Um and there were some high, you know, when there was the, you know, the excellent, I think when I really got into it when Joe Doring was, was kind of, you know, bouncing around the, the, the uh, triple crown championship. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he and Shiozaki did some great stuff together. Yeah. Him and Shiozaki, him and Suwama. I was like, I was like, I, I, it, for a variety of reasons, his career in America never really worked out the way it probably should have, but I was like a huge Joe Doring, like an all Japan guy. Um, I think we, you know, that's funny. I think everybody in this bubble probably had six months where they were like, I think Joe Doring's my guy. And then it all, it, you know, uh, unfortunately, it largely it was due to his career and the unfortunate obstacles he's faced. But we, I, I completely understand where you're at going like, oh, I have to watch All Japan. And then going, I think Joe Doring's my guy. I feel like we've all been there. Well, especially because I'm coming off of like the Aki Bono world title like runs. And well, and that's like where that. anything is better. I mean, you would have been a better Triple Crown champion. Yeah. So he, um, so, so, so then like, they're kind of in this 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 pool, and basically they desperately need to create new talent. And like Kento Miyahara comes along, and Miyahara is like the ace, and they're like, "Oh, he's perfect. He's real. He really is. He's perfect for what they need. They needed someone young, someone that was an excellent in ring wrestler, someone with charisma, someone that could be the ace baby face of the promotion." And it's like perfect. And then for about seven or eight years after Miyahara kind of breaks through, they completely struggle to follow it up him up with anybody else. Yep. And so you're going through this phase where some of the more reliable older wrestlers start breaking down. Suwama starts breaking down. Ichikawa starts breaking down. And so suddenly you're it's just Miyahara and these old guys, and they totally botch it with like Ashino and some of these other more interesting names that come through where you think, okay, here's the next young guy that's going to make it. Um, I think, you know, they, they tried with Jake Lee. They really did. They tried hard with him too. Um, and they finally, and they, and, you know, Aoyagi ever since he kind of debuted in all Japan had kind of been tabbed as, okay, maybe this guy can be, you know, a true kind of rival to Miyahara or at least someone else that can fit that role. And they finally did it. They finally have someone other than Kento Miyahara. He finally has someone that feels like a genuine equal um and the fact that he's a little bit younger than him helps even more and in all japan in general i think there's more people besides yuma aoyagi that have bright futures there as well which is a, another huge positive for them but i think if we're talking about a narrative especially in terms of all japan pro wrestling aoyagi has totally seized that you could make a case that miyahara has been better than aoyagi this year but aoyagi is is the star of all japan in 2023 and someone if you were if someone could make a very easy argument especially when you talk about the business growth like you mentioned for all japan pro wrestling especially given the obstacles that all japan pro wrestling has for business growth in terms of just kind of being a a turgid product for a long time i think he he's right in the mix 
What are your thoughts on Madoka Kakuta? Um, so I, 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 and I, um, I'm going to obviously preface this by saying that I am not like, I, I probably know about 5% as much of Dragon Gate as you do. Um, <laughs> that, so, hey, you're making good decisions life. Don't, don't make it 10%. That's a waste of time. Well, I've, I've, trust me, I've wasted my time knowing other things like being really good at the Immaculate <laughs> Grid, but, uh, <laughs> that tracks. I like, I play it every day and I, I play baseball and basketball every day. I can normally get seven or eight squares, but I'm not. My rarity score is high. You seem like somebody that is doing nine squares of like guys with 0.01 percent entries. So, so you know, I I would say I know I know more about basketball than I do baseball. Same. I, feel like I, can, I, I can do basketball pretty easily. Like there, I'll try, I'll try to come up with more, uh, lesser, more lesser known names than in baseball. Baseball, I'm just trying to finish it. So, so my my but. With that being said, I do better at the baseball one than the basketball one. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, the basketball one, I actually kind of – I would say I'm still probably pretty good at it. But I'll look at some of those team ones, and I'll be like, oh, wait, man, Nets and Suns? Ah, oh, like who can I think of? Like yeah. I, I get I get brain uh, freeze with uh, with, with the, 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 the bad ones. one is when I log on and I see like – Timberwolves and Grizzlies. It's just like, oh God. All right. Well, this is let me let me dig into the deep recesses of my brain and think about all the Minnesota Timberwolves players I can name. Because even though I follow the league really closely, I have never and will never care about the Timberwolves. Yeah, well, for me, I gotta think about like, okay, what were these memorable Timberwolves teams who were on those teams? And can I think of where they were afterwards? And then you and then you realize there's no such thing as a memorable Timberwolves. It's team. like oh that 2003, 2004 team that made the Western Conference Finals. Like, oh right, Kevin Garnett, I don't think he played for the Grizzlies. Um, no, it's like Latrell all right, Sam Cassell, Sam Cassell, Cassell Wally Zerbiak. I'm hoping yeah. I can get a Wally Zerbiak answer. You know what? I think Darko Milicek played for the Grizzlies. Um oh god, I can't wait. I can't wait to use that in a future grid now, now i'm now i'm curious i gotta look that up because <laughs> that would be a nice nice job for me if i did it because i know he definitely played for the timberwolves let's see here because he even did. like the okay all right he did that's that's yeah. great so what what are his teams pistons and grizzlies or i'm sorry no pistons and timberwolves and who else so you're of course forgetting his brief his his two years with the orlando magic oh, um, how could i forget so he gets traded from detroit to the orlando magic um for two years and then he spends two years in memphis he plays eight games for the knicks before he's then moved again to the timberwolves where he plays for three years and then he finished his career he played exactly one game for my boston celtics and that wow. is uh dark i i love that he was on the knicks just ever so briefly that rocks yeah keep that in the back of your head for uh for future for future use um and I, I i nailed i was in my head i was like i wonder if he was in that trade that got the pistons rodney stuckey and he was even though rodney stuckey was a draft pick but that's still that's how we got there all right little darko militrix uh sidebar which i enjoy yeah and well so the grid like so the basketball ones i struggle with i i can kill the 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 um statistical categories really easily in the basketball one yeah um, same uh, and I and I I know a lot about like fifties and sixties NBA, which is just tremendous for like getting low percentages because no one's gonna name those people. Um, so I'm usually pretty good at that. The baseball ones, uh, I feel like I don't know for whatever reason I can remember the teams better in baseball. Um, 
And then the statistical ones are also pretty easy. I usually I usually don't worry too much about the rarity score when I'm coming up with my players. I usually just try to get it done because I know if I can get the statistical categories, I can probably clean up and get like, you know, a one percenter or two percenter there. So getting like a 30 percenter on the teams isn't uh, as big of a deal. But anyway, that's uh, this is not related to Madoka Kakuda at all. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so my thoughts on Kakuda are. I think he's quite good. I don't know if he stands out to me as demonstrably better than a lot of the other wrestlers on the Dragon Gate roster. Um, but I see what they see in him, and I'm not like against him getting the kind of push that he has gotten. Um, I'm not, I'm honestly, I'm not, I'm not that, uh, as far as like the new six, like the new kind of generation of wrestlers, they've been pushing kind of towards the main event. I wouldn't say I'm super high on super duper high on any of them. I was super high on Kento, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> well, a, he, he, he has made some unfortunate decisions yeah, that will that, hinder honest, him. I was thinking about forever. that last night. Um, because uh, I was in the shower, and who else to think about while you're taking a nice hot shower than uh, SP Kento? Amen, brother. Yeah, and I was just like, I kind of like hadn't thought about him in a couple months, and I was like, man, that sucks. I haven't thought about him in a couple months. Oh god, I mean the Kento, the Kento Fujiwara thing. So I think, I think a lot of people know details of that story. The full stories never come out, and it's like I don't say it to like jangle. He's in somebody's face and go like, I know something you don't know. It's just, it's uh, Mike Spears and I, my co-host on VoiceGate, we've talked about it a lot and we we have the the quote unquote real story about 99% confirmed, but we've never had any desire to to shed more light on it just because it, there's, there's it, it it's an odd story. It's just very odd. And Dragon Gate, knowing that, Fujiwara and Kento were their two brightest prospects or two of their three brightest, brightest prospects with Takuma Nishikawa, uh, now known as TN Revolution. You know, they did everything they could to prevent the situation that has happened from happening. And unfortunately, uh, they finally uh, made the company decision to let them go. But it was one of those things that seemed more like a, uh, hey, let's spend some time apart maybe you guys can see the world and then we'll come back together again and be stronger than ever. And then they took a payday and gleet and now their careers are uh, very, very poorly. Uh, they're going very poorly. So yeah, it's a bummer. The, the whole Kento thing breaks my heart. Yeah. Cause I mean, he was as talented as anyone. Um, and, he's I still mean, so look, young. Well, he's, he's younger than me. I mean, I'm 24 yeah. years old. He's 23. And the, the thing that, that still rattles me to my core is we had Dragon Gate J on our podcast two years ago, and we were talking about how good Kento was as a rookie and how successful he was in his first year. And, you know, Kento was short even for Dragon Gate standards. I think he stands 5'5". Five, five. And, you know, the main eventers on that roster are 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, and Jay told us, he's like, look, if the guy was three inches taller, he'd probably be our world champion right now. You know, it's just... It, you know, there's a bigger hurdle to climb with him being as small as he is. But if he was built differently, you know, he had all the talent 
at 20 or 21 to lead that promotion. It just turns out that he, he, you know, he didn't have the mental capacity for it. And he continues and continues and continues to make very poor career decisions. And, and, and not the first and surely not the last person no. to classify that in professional wrestling. No, uh, it's, it's a bummer. But to, to get back to Kakuda, like, like if, if our obviously he's been champion for how long is his championship reign now? He, he he won the belt in May, so we're yeah. we're approaching seven months. Yeah, and he's he's probably gonna hold it for throughout the year. Does he have do you have does he have a big defense lined up between now and the end of the year? No, the, he'll defend the belt at final gate, like uh, more than likely, but I don't know against who. They don't have that set up yet. Right, but so even if he drops it at final gate, we're talking about pretty much he's he's got it for a bulk of the year. Yeah, that that shows Christmas Eve, so he'll hold it through three quarters mm-hmm. of December. So would you would you consider? And I know you you kind of said you're not super high on his his wrestler of the year uh, case, but would you consider him Dragon Gate's best? candidate for this for for these kind of awards or do you have someone else in mind who you think you would rate higher he's the best candidate and again that's he, focusing a lot on like kayfabe and narrative too right he's held the title yes. for a while they've obviously elevated him upwards he had this great story where he came back from his devastating injury to come back and win the title and kind of you know serve as the crowning moment so the narrative power is totally with him dragon gate did everything right getting him the title and then I think they made a ton of mistakes once he won the belt because he was this underdog babyface champion. Uh, when he won the belt, he won it at their show Dead or Alive, which was this May. Two years ago on that same show, he was a heel and Shun Skywalker was a babyface. And for those that don't know the story, the match went about 90 seconds. Kakuta took a drop toe hold and, blow, and, and blew his shoulder out. And the match had to end. He was gone for a year. He was like crying in the ring because he was in pain and he was embarrassed. It was this whole horrible thing. He comes back two years later. They build him up as this great baby face. Now shoot Skywalker's the heel. Kakuta wins the belt. It's perfect. They do everything right. And then they go into Kobe World where he's not the top match, which is okay. It wasn't an indictment on him that he wasn't the top match. They had a big Mascara Contra Mascara cage match that deserved the main event. But he had this... It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a dud. It wasn't even a bad match, but he had this match with Yuki Yoshioka at Kobe World that just lacked any sort of punch. And it's because they did this weird babyface versus babyface build. For those that don't know, they're in the same unit. So, you know, two stablemates fighting one another. And none of them ever played up being a heel or were, was more sympathetic than the other. They were just two guys that were having this match based on respect. And the crowd didn't know who to cheer for. I didn't know who to cheer for. The match was dead. It sucked. And you go, oh, okay, well, that's one match. Not the end of the world. Let's see how his reign progresses. And then he has another match. His August defense was against Kota Minora, who is, uh, I-, I would say, a controversial youngster in Dragon Gate. He tanked business last year and then has basically had to rehab his public image ever since. He and Minora have this match. Where no one really knew if Minora was the heel or if he was the face or if Kakuta was the heel or if he was the face. They ran into the same dynamic issue. And once again, the match fell kind of flat. And it wasn't until his most recent defense against Big Boss Shimizu, and I know you weren't as into it as I was, but where they finally established a proper wrestling match dynamic. And it was like, oh my God, that's right. Madoka Kakuta could be a great world champion. They just set him up to fail. And he unfortunately did not leap over the hurdles that were placed in front of him. The thing with Kakuta that is so hard, especially when you look at like most outstanding, is that 
two of his three highest profile matches this year were below four stars. They were not good main events. On the year, Kakuta, I have him as having 22 matches at four stars or higher, two of which are in my top five Dragon Gate matches this year, and six of the 10 are in my top 10 Dragon Gate matches this year. He's actually been absurdly consistent in a really great wrestler. Just his highest profile matches have been the worst examples of Kakuta. So he is another guy where if his uh, if his Kobe World match and his Dangerous Gate match were better, all of a sudden I could start to make an argument for him as being a Flair Thez candidate, but he kind of didn't live up to the hype in two of the three big profile matches he had this year, so I can't vote for him. Yeah, and like when we talk about narratives, that ultimately is what people are going to remember. Like they yes, might not yeah, remember. People, people were pressing the panic button on him as champion after August, and I was still saying like, give him give him another defense. Like he's he's being set up in these odd, almost non Dragon Gate esque scenarios. Like mm. I, 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 you know, a great wrestler is going to overcome those, but also like I understand why he's not. These scenarios sort of suck that he's being put in. Right, and he's he's still kind of getting his footing as you know the world champion he's only he's 24 very years young. old yeah, yeah, yeah. he's not like a 15 year vet that knows how to work around maybe some booking inadequacies and he's in you know in the cases of you know of working with someone like um kota Minora, like it, it it's you're talking about like another you know younger wrestler and so you're kind of working through these kind of maybe psychological um ring psychology hurdles because of booking and because of character presentation and things like that. And not, not everyone's going to be primed Terry Funk and be able to adjust to that on the fly, especially someone who maybe doesn't have a ton of experience as a main event wrestler at that point. Yeah. So Kakuta would normally be the guy that I would advocate for from Drangate, but for the reasons I just talked about, plus the fact that the, the gate of destiny number in Osaka did about half of what Osprey and Umino did, which is obviously a bad house. And they talked about that publicly after the main event where Kakuta got on the microphone and in a very Dragon Gate, very raw moment was like, look, I understand I'm the world champion and there's not a lot of people in this building and I have to do better. And uh, I talked about this on VoiceGate two weeks ago, but I had a, we had a bunch of listeners at that show. We, I have a lot of, uh, I, I for lack of a better term, Dragon Gate live, events cor- live event correspondents, people that live in Japan, people that I talk to on a regular basis. And they were all texting me as he's cutting this promo about how there's not a lot of people in the building going, this is an amazing rallying cry. This got the crowd fired up. This is actually, he's doing good by addressing this elephant in the room, and we'll see if they can build on it. The thing that I do want to mention about Drangate, just within the confines of this podcast, as we look ahead to 2024, everybody should be paying attention to the guy now known as Luis Monte. I think he's primed to have a massive 2024. He used to wrestle under a mask as Diamante. For those that don't know, he was brought into Dragon Gate literally just to wrestle Ultimo Dragon. And over the course of four years, he's become one of the best wrestlers in the world. He was unmasked in July. He's now starting to headline their Cork and Hall shows, and they're doing 1,300 pretty consistently in Corkin, which for 2023 standards is really good. I expect him by this time next year to, if he's not the Dreamgate champion, to be a firmly established full-time main eventer and uh, to put the company on his back. So 2024, the next time we have this conversation, I would expect his name to be in the mix. All right, excellent. Um, Some other names that we talked, I mean, you mentioned Sonata. Like Sonata has the idea of he was elevated to a top level, um, but... 
by the sounds of it, you're not that high on his title run. I'm not that high on it either. Yeah, um, I, I can't care about Sonata in 2023. I just can't do it. He's he's Randy Orton. That's who he is. Yeah, it's just it's not it's not for me. If you enjoy it, that's cool, but it's not for me. Yeah. Um Jake Lee, we kind of already talked about a little bit as terms of like just as as Noah has kind of put him forward um as as a as a uh as, as their next kind of guy, I guess. Um they brought him in, they gave him a big push, they gave him the world title, but I don't think he he achieved what they wanted him to achieve. Um no, we, we just did on the most recent voice get episode, we didn't plan on it, but we started off by doing a lot of Japanese business talk up front and comparing Dragon Gate and Noah and All Japan. And some of the Noah numbers are really alarming. I mean, they're Noah's not running shows. I think they've only run 68 shows this year, which is, I mean, Dragon Gate's run almost 140. That's like half of what Dragon Gate has done. Uh, and they're almost all in the Tokyo area. I think a third of their shows are in Tokyo. They're not drawing anywhere, and their numbers outside of Tokyo are really, really bad. So it's, their numbers yeah, in Tokyo are bad. That's uh, yeah, and and something that uh, I don't know how many other podcasts have talked about this, but I, I made sure to mention it. Then I'll mention it here. So, you know, Noah runs a lot in Nagoya. That's that's always been a very solid market for them. Dragon Gate runs a lot in Nagoya. It's arguably their best market. And it's the market that they rival New Japan the most in. New Japan still obviously cleans up there more than anybody. But the the New Japan Dragon Gate stuff in that market is much closer than anywhere else. Noah runs there, Dragon Gate outdraws them, but they still run there. The Nagoya Conference Center Hall, that mid-sized Nagoya venue, is... I don't know if it's closing or if it's just undergoing renovations next year, but that building is going away. So Noah already doesn't run a lot of shows. They don't do well outside of Tokyo, and now one of their main destination spots is going away for their destinations outside of Tokyo. So they're going to need to find a new venue to run. Yeah, and there's not another uh, – my understanding is there's not another mid-sized Nagoya venue. This was one of the things that like people within Dragon Gate were laughing at Gleet when they brought in SB Kento and Takuma Fujiwara because Kento's from Nagoya and can sell a ton of sponsors as a big local draw there, but – they they won't be able to capitalize on it. They'll either have to run the 5,000-seat Dolphins Arena or they'll have to run, like, a 200-cap, like, hotel room hall. There's going to be no mid-sized venue in Nagoya anymore, which could really end up impacting Noah's business. Yeah. Um, I just want to touch on now some of these other contenders. Um, so we already talked about Roman Reigns. Um, let, let's talk about Will Ospreay in terms of, I think... He if if Reigns is the favorite to win this award, to win Flareth's, I think Osprey is is probably the second pick. Um, what 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 to you kind of stands out about Osprey's case this year? Well, he's clearly the best wrestler in the world from an in ring perspective. I don't think anybody is close. I mean, the fact that he has both of the Omega matches this year, plus the Naito match, which is one of my favorite Naito matches ever plus all of the other stuff that he's done uh, in the UK and in AEW, and I wish he would have shown up in Mexico, but maybe we'll get that next year. You know, he is the best in-ring wrestler in the world this year. The thing with Osprey that I think is so interesting is that everybody just thinks his candidacy stops there, and it's odd to me that he doesn't really get credit for at least being a part of Forbidden Door 2 and Wrestle Kingdom with the two Omega matches, and he doesn't really get talked about for the strong business work that he did in the UK this year. His candidacy 
reminds me a lot of Shima in 2018, which was the year that he left Dragon Gate. I actually voted Shima Flair Fez that year because Shima went to AAA and he went to Wrestle One and he went to DDT and he popped houses and all of these promotions that needed a draw. And for Osprey this year, it's the same thing. He's basically reinventing the territories. You know, everywhere Osprey goes, people come with him. And it just so happens that he also produces a match of the year nearly anywhere he goes. I mean, for me, he is, he is, I think, edged out Mystico finally. When I vote for Flair Thez this year, he's obviously winning my most outstanding. He'll be number one on my SFM 50 ballot. But he has probably edged out Mystico when I really sit down and think about the impact that he's had this year. It comes back to what we talked about at the top. When I think of 2023, I'm going to think of Will Ospreay. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about, again, the Flair-Thez Award, what what, what is Ric Flair and Luthes? What are they known for, right? They were known for, especially Ric Flair. It was kind of a different time with like what was demanded of Luthes when he was a wrestler. But Flair going to territory to territory, he's working the main events, he's working the best opponent that whatever territory has, and... He's going out there and he's having like the best match that that territory has had all year. Um, and he's, he's basically popping business pretty much everywhere he goes. And he really does feel like he, he said like he's reinvented the territories, but he definitely feels like in the overall wrestling sphere, he is the biggest star in terms of what he's been able to do in Japan, what he's been able to do in the United States, what he's been able to do in Europe and like, not just like, Oh, he had one match here and there. He's kind of doing this consistently. He's had a bunch of notable matches in Europe, not only in Rev Pro, but he's gone to like Reich's. I don't know if that I'm pronouncing that right, but the, did you see the French match he had in uh, the French indie promotion? No, no, I didn't. So he has a match and this was like hyped like well in advance because um, this was like back in February because it kind of like uh, popped up on um, like after it happened, it was kind of getting because it was like one of those things where they taped it and it was going to be like shown on their streaming service or something like a few weeks after it happened. But people that were there live were like, well, Osprey came in and wrestled. She wrestled Tristan Archer um, in like February of this year. And um, everyone was saying like, oh, my God, he had like the best match anyone has ever seen uh, in France. And so he he goes into he wrestles in this French indie. He, I think he drew their biggest crowd ever. Um, and he has like a four and a half star match with uh Tristan Archer, who's like been around for a while. He's he's wrestled a lot, like if you watch like WXW and stuff like that. I think he's been around there. Um, but uh so 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 in just like that kind of stuff. It's not just like, oh, he he wrestled, he had a really good G1, or he he wrestled Kenny Omega for Bindor and it was great. Like he really is getting around. Um that match is on YouTube, by the way. If if you Oh, I'm gonna check it. that out. I that that completely was not on my radar, and that sounds like something I'd like to watch. Yeah, no, and it's like a great atmosphere. It's like these fans, the fans that are there, like can't believe that Will Ospreay, the best wrestler in the world, is wrestling on their, you know, indie show in France. And it's it's a really cool environment but like it's like that's the kind of stuff that he's been uh he's been doing this year and it, it goes beyond just like we're talking about a great in-ring wrestler or someone that's that's had a lot of good matches he's had a lot of good matches everywhere with a wide variety of of, of opponents and the other thing about him and you mentioned like his business uh 
you know, the way he's been able to move business. I think that he comes across like a huge star everywhere he goes in a way that I don't know if everyone appreciates in the sense of, I know people who, who never watched new, this is, this, this was last year, right? You remember the build to forbidden door last year? Remember how it was a complete mess? Yeah. I, yeah. And I remember people talking who never really watched new Japan and they, they told, I was talking to them and they were telling me like, I don't know anything about these new Japan guys. The only guy that seems interesting is Will Ospreay. Now is part of that because Will Ospreay is there cutting promos in English and stuff like that. Probably. Um, but he still stands out amongst, I think, fans who have never seen him before. There are a lot of WWE fans that desperately want him to sign with WWE. Um, I think that would be bad for wrestling. Oh, it would just uh, be terrible. But 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 he's a guy that even, you know, the hardcore WWE fans are like, oh, WWE's Triple H has got to sign this guy um, because he stands out like a star to those people in addition to standing out like a star to, to all other types of wrestling fans. Um, yeah, he's, he's the guy, you know, and, and I really, I thought I was going to vote for Mystico because in the, you know, 2023 has been the year of CMLL and it's the most I've ever enjoyed Lucha. And I love that promotion, but Osprey is just on another level. I mean, he has cemented himself to me as, as a observer hall of famer, whenever he goes on the ballot, you know, I think it'll suck if he retires, uh, IE signs with WWE next year. Cause I, I still think he has so much to give to wrestling. He's a, he's a savant. He's brilliant. And he's not just brilliant in the ring, but he's a business mover. You know, like you said, he's a star. Yeah. And people have said like this year, like he's transcended things this year that he's had the greatest in-ring year anyone's ever had or something like that. And to me, it's like, I don't know if he was bet. I don't know if he's been was better than he was last year or the year before that. Like I think this, we're now talking about like someone who's put together several several years. I mean, like Osprey's twenty nineteen. Yeah, he, he's got the he's got Super Juniors and then the right like the does he does he do the G one that yeah yeah, yeah he yeah his Super Juniors in G one and that's a Super Juniors year where I don't know if he had a block match under four stars and then he and Shingo have a dream match in the finals. And it's the most obvious five-star match I've ever seen. I DM'd a wrestler as that match was happening uh, who has wrestled both Osprey and Shingo. He was watching it live. I was watching it live. And we were salivating as it was going on about like, oh my God, this is this is an actual dream match. And it's actually every bit as good as we would have hoped for. And then Honestly, they might have built on it with their later matches. I mean, Osprey versus Shingo should be considered an all-time in-ring rivalry. There's reasons that it's not partially COVID, partially the way we consume content now. But yeah, you're right. 2023 might not be his best year, and it's better uh, a better in-ring year than about 99% of wrestlers have ever had. Yeah, and if we're looking at the other serious contenders um, for like wrestler of the year or these kind of things, he blows away a lot of them. In, in in ring performance like it's it's not even close there's a few that i think can 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 hang in there in terms of, of of being close to his level i think he's easily the best this year but if we were talking about you know him versus roman reigns like like come on oh my god it's, um, it's not it's not close even like him versus aoyagi like aoyagi's had a great year and i would say he's he's been great in the ring but like we're just talking about like how many great matches have these people had osprey's blowing away aoyagi yeah, I mean it's it's Os for me it's Osprey, it's Kakuta, 
it's maybe like Yuki Yoshioka or Shun Skywalker. And then it's it's Brian Danielson. And, and Danielson's a guy who, when you look at it, I mean, he's headlined so many important shows this year that he probably needs to be in that conversation. I mean, I when I vote for SFM 50 this year, which is the 50 best wrestlers in the world, if Danielson's not a top three guy for me, he's probably a top five. Because even though, like, you That's know, Reigns has wrestled X number of matches and they've all, they've largely all sucked, every Danielson match just blows my mind. and He reinvents what I think wrestling can be. Yeah, and, and I had him on my short list. Like, and part of that, he's also, you know, perhaps even more impressive is that he's missed time because of injury um i guess it almost it almost works in the favor of his aura because now like when danielson's there i know i have to pay attention because i don't know how long it'll last but everything he does like i remember this will be a brief diatribe but stick with me because i was on a podcast with alan forrell a few years ago when we were doing greatest wrestler ever this was 2021 and we were discussing our top 10 and how i was having a really hard time putting danielson in my top 10 because I was just cold on him because I never, I, I don't say this to be a hipster or to be different. I just never liked Brian or I'm sorry, Daniel Bryan matches as much as everybody else. Like the John Cena match, the triple H match. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't my thing. And I felt like we had almost wasted a decade at that point of this guy as a pro wrestler. And it really, it like soured my opinion on him. And then that was in the spring by the summer. He's an AEW. And now when I watch him, I think, yeah, he's probably one of the five greatest wrestlers ever. You know, he's he's in that conversation with Fujinami and Hanson and Tenru and Kobashi because I'm reminded that he's he's Brian fucking Danielson. And we were robbed of that for a decade. And now it's a shame that he's hurt as often as he is. But it it really, like I said, it almost adds to his aura because he comes around. It's like, okay, he's going to kill Ricky Starks and then he's going to go away for a little bit. And now he's got this tournament coming up and he's going to kill somebody else and then he's going to go away. And it's just the cycle of life and it's it's devastating yet exhilarating at the same time. Yeah, well, you know where I stand. I'm a, I'm a Danielson disrespecter. Uh, oh, in, is that in right? In terms of his all-time greatness. Um, it's like, a, but, but to scale, of course. I'm not like a Brian Danielson sucks guy, but I'm kind of like what you were saying like you were before. Um like him kind of jumping to AEW. I, Danielson has never hit me the same way he's hit other people. I think ultimately, and I, I and like I recognize him as a brilliant wrestler. He would certainly be listed in in whatever top rankings I wanted to come up with. I don't think I would call him like a top ten great wrestler of all time, but but I, I get it. I th- I think for me, it's just like I, as a fan, I value explosiveness and athleticism a lot. Um, just for what I find personally entertaining in wrestling. I've been that way since I was a little kid. We um, all have that. I have that with AJ Styles where people are like, AJ Styles is a top 20 guy of all time. I'm like, oh my God, I thought he was like a top 50 guy, maybe. I didn't realize I hated AJ Styles. Like personally, like I, I would probably rate AJ Styles over Brian Danielson. Yeah, I think that's crazy, but I also don't think you're alone. Right, yeah. But so 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 I, I'm not against that. Now, you you were you mentioned guys on the level of Osprey. I will throw I'm gonna I gotta throw in Kenny Omega this year because I do think that he has had a really, really incredible entering year. And I think a lot of that is because it's it's kind of going under the radar. Um like if we just like look I'm looking through his cage match and like just look at his 2023. Um so he starts the year with the the match against Will Ospreay at the Tokyo Dome, which 
some people would say is 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 one of I don't know it's one of the greatest matches of all time I guess. Um, the, it's certainly at worst a five star match, and that is at worst. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the the cage match rating. It looks like a typo because of how many stars there are under Dave's rating. Um, but it has a nine point seven six on cage match with over one thousand ratings, which it has to be one of the, the that has to be one of the highest rated matches of all time on cage yeah. match, especially yeah. with that many ratings. But then you remember. He had that ladder match with the Young Bucks versus, you know, a death triangle. Um, in it, Los it might be a top 10 match for me this year. It might sneak in as my number 10. I love that match. Yeah, it's a five. It has five. Dave gave that five stars. Like, my man. okay. He had an incredible match, another trios match against Air Fox, Dante Martin, and Darius Martin uh, on an episode of Dynamite. He had, they had that trios match against, um, uh, the House of Black at, at at Revolution, which was an incredible match that was overshadowed by the Texas Death Match and the sixty minute draw on that show, but that would have been like the best match on like ninety nine point nine nine percent of all wrestling cards to ever take place. Um, he had two Vikingo matches, including that Vikingo match on Dynamite, which is really probably one of the greatest performances of trying to get someone who no one had ever or, or allegedly nobody had ever heard of uh, over. On, a, it's not a dream match. I've never heard of him. Says a guy that covers wrestling for a living. Fucking idiot. Well, so. not not anymore. Um, oh, well, you know, he's, he's got all that money. You know, yeah. He's, you know, Sean Ross Sapp didn't get any of it, but he's got all that money. You know, I, I don't. I didn't get any of it either. Don't worry. Uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? But, Times but, are tough. But in terms of like just that being like not only a really entertaining match, but just like an incredible like it's obviously wasn't an individual performance, but in terms of like working with somebody who had never worked on American television really before um who works oh i mean look the the match it's unfair to say this because now i'm just pontificating on on what could have been but it's a real sliding glass doors moment to steal a phrase for bill simmons like the buzz that vikingo had coming off of that match that they never really followed up on i mean we the, the the direction of AEW could have been determined by that match this year and instead that was, you know, that's the famous show with the red, white, and blue ropes and, you know, Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. You've heard all about it. We got it. But they embraced all the bad things on that show and continued with that direction, whereas there's a reasonable argument to make that they should have just looked at Omega versus Vikingo and gone, oh, this is what the promotion should be. We should embrace this and not backstage skits. Right. Um and so, so, and by, we're only in March with Kenny Omega, uh, by the way, we're just talking about his great matches. He had a match against Jeff Cobb on Dynamite that was very well received. Uh, he has a steel cage match against John Moxley, which was incredible. I completely forgot about that. Right, right. Like just his, his, I'm just he's scrolling through his ear. He has the anarchy in the arena. Obviously he's one of 10 people in that match. So, um, or I guess that was an eight man version of it, but. Um, obviously another very well-received match. He wrestles Will Ospreay again in a match that was somehow equal to his match at Wrestle Kingdom with, with Will Ospreay, which seemed impossible at the time. Um, he wrestles Vikingo again in AAA. He wrestles, he has the Blood and Guts match. He has his match against Konosuke Takeshita. Um, he, he has, and he, he has the match against MJF, um, the, the hastily thrown together uh, title defense um, just from a couple weeks ago, which I was at. Um, so like, and that's just, I mean, he has had an incredible in-ring year, like an absolutely incredible, if Will Ospreay wasn't having the in-ring year that he was having, 
I think Omega would be a runaway for for most outstanding wrestler when you just look at that. And a lot of it, yes, he's done a lot of tag team work. But in some ways, I would argue that having great tag team matches, having great trios matches is a feather in his cap because it's not like he didn't have great singles matches either. And he's had, you know, street fights. He's done like death matches. He did the cage match. Uh, but he's also done your standard, you know, we're going to go out there and we're going to wrestle brother kind of style of matches too. So for diversity of matches, he's been tremendous. And again, he's almost kind of like Okada. He's because he's on American TV and because I just think he's capable of the spectacular. I don't think he's taken quite as for granted as Okada, but and because he's battled injuries and kind of, this is the first year in a couple of years, he's been fully back as a wrestler. Um, I think sometimes we're taking for granted like his his week to week brilliance. But when you go back and you look at just his year, like I, I for, like the, the, I forgot about it until the tip. I forgot about his cage match with John Moxley happened back in May. Like I I forgot about that, and I was like, oh yeah, that match was like fucking amazing. And it just it it really um he he he's had an incredible year, and that probably shouldn't be uh, we probably shouldn't lose sight of that. No, you're right. It's another guy where it's not an obvious pick, but it, you know, th- this might this might be evil or obnoxious to some, but I do look at this category as we're voting against Roman Reigns because I still think he has public sentiment, you know, he, he's the 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 betting odds are in his favor. And Omega is another one of these guys where it's like, look at their years. They're it's not it's not close. You know, Omega also has you know the great business stuff. But then yeah, you're right. He's at you know at worst a top five, top ten guy this year. He's been incredible. So he's he's another name that shows you that this year is maybe a little bit deeper than I initially thought. But you know, with Osprey and Danielson and Omega and, and o- Okada, you know, and Mystico, which is there. There's more depth there than maybe I realized. Yeah, and, and and New Japan's like mer- touring in America strategy changed a lot, so it's kind of hard to for me to come up with proof of this necessarily. But I do think that his match against Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom this year helped renew like American and Western interest in New Japan, something that had maybe fallen during the pandemic and kind of with some of the top stars going to AEW. I do think that brought some people who maybe hadn't really paid super close attention to New Japan back to that product. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want do you want to talk about MJF at all? Because I think he's uh, going he's going to get votes. Yeah, I that you know that's that's funny. Where however you know long we are into this, and I haven't I haven't even I like I don't have notes on him. I hadn't really thought about him. I have actively disliked so much of his year. You know, I I loved the Danielson sixty minute match. I think I liked it less than some other people, but I still thought it was amazing. And then everything from the build of Double or Nothing on, I've hated. You know, it almost like best case scenario, I've hated it. At times, it has caused me to stop watching whatever episode of Dynamite I'm watching and just do something else with my night. So he's not someone I take seriously just because I can't vote for somebody that I think has been a, a negative presence on my television screen for eight months out of the year. Yeah, so this is kind of similar to what I was saying about Roman Reigns, which is like, I'm so low on this person's individual perform, like actual performance, that I can't take them like a, as a serious person for me to put down as 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 if for any award, not just Flair Fez, but just for kind of anything. Yeah, I I, I understand 
if that's your thing, if you like that, I, I understand why you would do it, but it's not something that I can sign off on. Mm-hmm. I have, I am less down on MJF than I think the average person associated with Voices of Wrestling. Um, but I also would have a hard time really saying he's wrestler of the year material. Um, business has not been super great with him being easily the most heavily pushed person in the promotion. Um, not all of that is his fault, but certainly some of it has to be put on him. If he was, if they were drawing record, if they were doing like really strong business, um, and he was doing this exact same kind, he had the exact same kind of year, but like attendance was up and ratings were up. Uh, I think he would have a much stronger case, um, but they're not. I think with the exception of his his all-in match, which was really, really bad in like kind of like a disastrous way in a lot of cases, I think he's had a really strong uh, in-ring year. I think his match against Danielson, the 60-minute match, um, is was was one of the best matches in AEW history. Um, my, my, my point with that match is whenever people started like getting super critical with it is I always say, let, let's not over, let's not overanalyze the match that had an entire, you know, crowd standing and clapping 59 and a half minutes into the match for a, a single leg crab. Okay. Um, but I, I, I think from a performance perspective, from like a promo perspective, I don't think he's nearly as strong as he's been in years past. I understand and agree with all most of the criticisms aimed at his babyface character um i wouldn't have i wouldn't I, i'm not quite as extreme in my dislike of it i guess but i i i'm not a fan of it at the same time um so well, I, let me let me put it to you this way as somebody that that can't stand it if business was hot and they weren't struggling to fill TV, let alone some pay-per-views that haven't drawn great. Um, I wouldn't hate it as much, but I, it's something that I don't personally care for that I think is compounded by a negative business effect on the promotion. So everything about it to me sucks. I just, I, I now, now it's like, I went from, oh, I don't like this to, I can't stand this. I need it off my TV. Well, it's also like, you don't, it's hard to understand why they're going in this direction, right? If business was doing great, you would understand. Like, you know, I I don't really like it, but obviously it's working because look at business. And then since business is poor, it 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 adds to like the whole like confoundingness of like, okay, why are they going in this direction? Because it's also doesn't seem to be working that well um, in terms of business. And also I hate it. Um, but I do think he's probably going to get votes. Um and he's probably going to place very highly on a lot of different lists and, and, and wrestling MVP awards and things like that. Because when we talk about putting your narrative on it, this was the year of MJF in, in AEW. There's absolutely no doubt about it. He's been the champion for the entire year. He's probably going to finish the year as champion, I think. Uh, he's easily the most heavily pushed person on television. Uh, he's all over the product. He's wrestled more frequently than he has really uh, than in any other year of his career in AEW. Um so this he's in terms of a narrative, he definitely has that narrative. Whether or not it's a, a a positive narrative or a negative narrative is probably um in the eye of the beholder. But he's definitely in terms of AEW the most uh like the most headline worthy kind of candidate, I would think. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. It 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 goes to show my uh, level of interest in him or lack thereof. I really I hadn't even thought about him. I mean, he's not somebody that I'll I'll think about for 
for SFM 50 this year, whereas I think last year he was either a top 10 or top 15 guy for me. And for something like this, no, I, I can't realistically consider him at all. Hmm. And so I'm going to, we're going to, go with who I think is probably the last really top tier candidate for this kind of award. And you've mentioned him several times already. It's Mystico, um, who uh, has has really been the case for Mystico, I think would be pretty simple. And that's that he's really reinvigorated or helped reinvigorate CMLL. Um, he's obviously was an enormous star in the mid to late 2000s in CMLL. He goes to WWE, he's in Cara. And there's just an incredible... Uh, journey he goes on for from being in WWE then going back to Mexico he can't use the Mystico name they give it to someone else there's multiple Mysticos he's he's Caristico he's mysterious he's he's under all these gimmicks and basically he goes through this whole journey and he eventually I don't I, do you know when he was allowed to just be Mystico again was that last year I ooh, I don't know for sure but that sounds right Right. So, so, so let's see. He, he's finally, he's just allowed to be Mystico again. He's under the same mask. He's back in CMLL. And thanks to some pretty solid booking, he is probably in terms of wrestling, he is the best. Like, uh, ace is kind of a Japanese term. I, it feels weird to call Mystico an ace, especially because he's not like an amazing in ring wrestler, but he is the best like top baby face in all of wrestling, I would think in terms of, of uh, how he's presented, how he, how he acts, his charisma, his connection with the audience, and certainly how he's drawn because he's been a huge draw for, for, for CMLL for a company that looked like it was not doing too well. Obviously the pandemic did a number on it, but there was a huge kind of creative vacuum that had fall. The company had fallen into after Paco Alonso died and they had some pretty rocky years for, for a, a company that's known for its, its, you know, consistency and its longevity and all that. And Mystico has really taken them up to really impressive heights again. Um, I think, you know, it's really interesting. He got into, he finally got into the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame last year. Um, and he's, he's like the reverse Shinsuke Nakamura and like Nakamura, <laughs> Nakamura gets in and, and like kind of right after he gets into the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, his career kind of peters out. Um, which maybe that's probably not fair because he, he did do stuff and when he was a, when he first went to WWE. But since then, it's kind of like, ooh, maybe we voted Shinsuke Nakamura in a little too early. Now anyone that voted for Mystico and I don't vote Mexico. So do you do you vote in Mexico? I don't. Yeah. So I don't vote Mexico. I I I don't know. Like I so I didn't vote for for Mystico or anything like that. But anyone that did vote for Mystico is probably like giving themselves a big pat on the back. Like yeah, we got that one right because what he's done this year has has only reaffirmed that this guy's a Hall of Fame performer. Yeah. I look. There's there's a few different things I want to hit on here. I mean, you know. It's interesting when you talk to like Ricardo who writes for voices of wrestling or some of the stuff that Cubs has talked about, or some of the stuff that Rob's Rob Vipers talked about where credit to CMLL, they have figured out a way to embrace tourism and to fill arena Mexico every Friday. So that sometimes leads to some, uh, not criticism, but doubt of, Oh, is Mystico really making that big of a difference at the box office? But the anniversary show sold out well in advance. There have been some really strong Puebla numbers this year. And time after time, you watch these Friday Arena Mexico shows. And we talked about how Will Ospreay looks like a star earlier. In that environment, 
in his home base, no one in wrestling comes across like a bigger star than Mystico. He is he is just marvelous. He, he has had such a good year. And the funny thing is, like, you kind of alluded to it there, and I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but, I you know, Joe Lanza has more or less said the same thing, where it's like, oh, Mystico's a big star, but, you know, he's, you know, he's not the best wrestler on the CMLL roster, and maybe he's not the best wrestler on the roster. I think he's been excellent this year and so that really puts him over the top for me i love him as an in-ring performer i think he's great and i think this year uh you know the things that he did in the cybernetico match the stuka jr match from january which is one of my favorite matches of the entire year the templario match and, and uh that was october there's so much good mystico stuff this year and i think it's funny that i kind of keep on hearing people go like well you know he's a big star but he's not he's you know his wrestling is like i'm like no his wrestling's awesome like this guy does everything well yeah like i i think he's a pretty good in-ring wrestler like i would say he's not like an osprey's level or or like omega or danielson which obviously is like a huge bar like you can still be a pretty good wrestler and not be at the level of like three of the greatest wrestlers of all time um and I, I'm glad you mentioned the Puebla numbers because that's really important, I think, when we talk about CML business because you can say, okay, Friday night at Arena Mexico, you know, they have deals with the local hotels and resorts and they they bring tourists in who want to see authentic Lucha Libre. So it's kind of like this, this it's not a bot show, but it's kind of similar to that, um, which which saying that kind of ignores the fact that Arena Mexico at various times is not always, you know, filled with yes. people, despite the fact that tourists apparently come there. Um, and so so he's doing strong there, but he's also doing strong outside of Mexico City, doing kind of the weekly Pueblo shows, which are, are usually not that really highly um, attended. They're kind of like the B shows. And even those are up and those are almost like a bigger sign that the business is hot. Right. And that Mystico is hot. Um, and even like, look, he 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 showed up on a, he got announced for for an episode of a, he was in he was he got an ep, announced for an episode of Dynamite. And he did, uh, or was it was a collision? I can't even remember. It now. was Rampage, actually. It was the third one. <laughs> okay, well, that's why I couldn't think of it because he was on a taping of Dynamite, but he was on Rampage. Yes, because I was like, no, it wasn't on Dynamite. It was on one of the other shows, but he was. It was a Dynamite Rampage taping. He gets announced on. I think he gets announced on on Friday or Saturday night, leading up to it. So he has five days on the show, and between over the five days, he sell that they they move twenty one hundred tickets in Houston. For that Mystico match. And okay, was that all Mystico was part of it? You know, local advertising. Maybe there were some deals to get some more people in the door in the last five days leading up to it. Yeah. But if you watch that Rampage match, a lot of people were were in the building for, for Mystico versus Rocky Romero. And a lot of people were cheering for Mystico. The people that were there knew who that guy was. He wasn't like someone that had who had never, by the way, had never wrestled in AW before. Um and and that, you know obviously that's that's in Houston, Texas. That's not in Mexico City. They weren't the the resorts weren't weren't, weren't shuttling the resorts in Mexico City were not shuttling people to Houston, Texas to watch to watch that match. Those were those were you know probably Mexican American fans and fans of Lucha Libre going to see him. Um, by the way, Roman Reigns only moved three hundred tickets uh, when he was announced for a house show in Kansas City around the same time period. But I I uh, don't know. I heard I heard he was a massive star. I heard he was such a big star. You can actually credit him for shows that he wasn't on, uh, that he turned business around so much that that now every show draws because of him. Yeah, well, me and Brand. So this was like right around the same time period, and, and me and Brandon on WrestleNomics did a, did like a, a breakdown of of it, and it's like Roman Reigns was announced for a house show in Kansas City, 
where in in, in you really sh- wouldn't expect Roman Reigns to be on a house show because he never yeah. does them. Um, so he was announced for the show in Kansas City, and he's announced two weeks in advance. And in the end, they moved like nineteen hundred tickets or so from when he was announced to that show. And I know in the first like five days after he was announced, they moved like three hundred tickets. Um, so. So he moved that many tickets for a show that no one expected him to be at. And then, of course, Mystico has five days, not two weeks, five days instead uh, to, to, run, to to move tickets in, in AEW, and he did. So that's obviously just one example, but I think it's a really strong showing of, like, this guy actually moves tickets. Um, yeah, no, he, is... I, look, he, come, he comes across like a massive star, and especially if you're somebody like me who is really high on his in-ring – you know, up until we started this podcast, I thought he'd be my Flair Thez, and he still might be. It's either him or Osprey because he's the other guy this year. You know, 2023 has been Osprey's year, but for what Mystico has done for CMLL in terms of the English-speaking audience, I mean, I've been in this bubble for a decade, and there is a point in time where AAA was really hot, and I, I, I that's never been my thing. I've never really enjoyed AAA. But CMLL, I mean, people have never cared about Lucha the way that they have. I've never cared about Lucha like this. I look for excuses to, like, be home on a Friday night, and, like, I'm hoping my girlfriend goes out with her friends. I'm like, oh, yeah, like, you want to go? Oh, my God, please go. Like, you know, I can entertain myself just so I can watch Arena Mexico shows live now. Like, the, he's completely uh, rejuvenated my interest in Lucha. I don't know if rejuvenated is the right word, but he got me interested in contemporary Lucha in a way that nobody else has been able to do. And then you factor that on again, like, you know, the, the Cibernetico match will be a top 10 match for me this year. And Mystico is a big part of that. Yeah. I mean, I, and so I, I'm just going to throw some other names out there that I, I, I'm not really going to give that many people serious, these serious thoughts, but just people that might be other people argue for some of them have already mentioned, like Kento Miyahara um, could probably make place down ballot. Um, if you had to pick someone from Noah, you could either go with Kano or Katsuhiko Nakajima, who, if you want to talk about somebody who, especially lately, has kind of seized some headlines and some narratives, Nakajima leaving Noah, going right to All Japan, um, and thumping Aoyagi and, and winning the Triple Crown Championship. That's that's a pretty impressive move, and uh, he's obviously an excellent in-ring wrestler. Um, I, I, love, I love both of those guys as wrestlers. I love Kano. I love Nakajima. I can't. I can't take any of those guys seriously if there's any award that factors in business just because, like we talked about, Noah business is so down right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Nakajimo is, a, is a, at, at worst a top 50 guy for me this year, and I, I got to do some catching up on Kano. But, you know, Kano did awesome stuff at Dragon Gate this year. That's the other thing. He didn't, you know, he didn't move business. He wasn't really in a position to. But Kano and Kondo were the Dragon Gate tag team champions for a while. And brief aside, there's it's from June – it's Kano and Shuji Kondo versus Susumu Mochizuki and Yasushi Kanda. And it is the match of Yasushi Kanda's life. It's the be- it was the best year of his career, uh, best year of his career, but it's the match of Kanda's life. And the stuff that Kano and Kanda do in that match, it is uh it will go down as a desert island match for me all time. It is just one of those things that it really struck a chord with me, and that was a uh, large part due to Kano. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a somewhat related note, have you seen the Miyahara Aoyagi versus the Saito brothers match? No, I haven't, but I keep on hearing that it's great. Yeah, you should watch that match, and I recommend anyone to watch that match. It was probably from like I think probably, it's probably like six weeks old now. Um, 
or something like that. But it is an incredible match because it is an unbelievable carry job by Kento and Aoyagi, and especially Kento, in terms of like the Saito brothers are really not good at all. And in, to- <laughs> in today's wrestling, if someone's in the main event of a match, they're usually the standard is usually high enough for them to be like pretty decent, if not outright very good. And like it's rare you see people as as inadequate as the Saito brothers wrestle um like a like a 35 minute main event match and it really is like a kind of match that you don't see anymore it's like your classic like bret hart or rick flair or like just classic i'm gonna go this these people the person i'm wrestling can't do five moves correctly but i'm somehow gonna get a amazing 30 minute match out of them uh it is it is not my match of the year or anything like that but there is no other match i've seen kind of like it in terms of just like carrying someone to something else um, okay, I'm I'm excited. I the, you know, this next week, like I have all of next week off of work, and so I've caught some recent All Japan, but there's still I need to go in and fill in the gaps. And now I'm now I'm even more excited to do that. That's good to know. Yeah, that, I probably would have skipped that just with the it's it's hard to voluntarily watch a Saito Brothers match, but okay, now I'm in. Uh, yeah, like it's one of those matches that's super exciting when someone explained to you. Like I'm pretty sure Gerard, of course, was the one who told me about it, and he was like. He just said he posted is probably in the slack, but he said something. He said something like, oh, the Saito brothers versus Miyahara and Aoyagi is so good. It's 35 minutes and it's amazing. And I'm like, okay, the Saito brothers had an amazing 35 minute match. Like what what could possibly have happened in that match? Like how? Um, but it's it's worth your time to go see. Um, I talked to the uh, oh, someone else I want to mention is Rocky Romero as a potential Uh if you're going to pick someone else from CMLL, someone who's kind of been a mover and shaker and kind of been all been all over the place, he's had a, he's been great in CMLL this year, especially as a heel. Um, I I adore Rocky. There was a point in time, you know, probably five years ago, where I would go out of my way to watch every Rocky match that made tape, and then I fell off a little bit. And now I've done it this year just because it's like, oh, not only is it something that I personally enjoy, now he's just one of the best wrestlers this year. You know, the stuff he's done it, in CMLL has been has been mind-numbingly good yeah i think it's his best in-ring year of his career after i would agree with that after i kind of like i don't want to say he's gotten like bad in the ring but he i don't know if he got stale or he just he he didn't really wrestle that much he didn't really have that many like signature moments in wrestling um kind of he was basically a real undercard guy in new japan you know wrestling and in, in, in six-man tags and things like that um and this year he's been you know really rejuvenated himself you know as a heel in cmll that's a great point. This is what he'll be remembered for. I think more so than forever hooligans or Rapongi vice. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously more so than like the Havana pit bulls. You're right. This is, this is the peak of his career. And it's a career that I, like, I've always loved Rocky. I I've always thought he's an excellent wrestler, but this is, this is the best work he's ever done. That and being a new Japan office guy. I, crazy. He is as powerful as it gets in wrestling. Yeah. As far as like an active talent, I mean, and, and apparently, you know, his, his work, you know, apparently was behind, you know, getting Sam L guys on, on AEW television, which is a, a big win, obviously. Um, I'm not a Joshi guy. I, I talked to some of the Joshi people uh, today and asked them kind of who they thought would be the top contenders for, for wrestler of the year award. And, and the consensus that I got was that it, stardom's had such an up and down business year, um, including some really rough patches that they're in there in the way the promotions kind of pushed people there really isn't a standout candidate um i know like saya kamatani was doing well but that she got hurt i think most people would kind of say julia or mayu iwatani almost kind of more by default than like any of them really breaking out um 
I know I heard some things about Arisa Nakajima, um, who's who's in Seedling, but does a lot of the uh, the indies and, and things like that. And I've also heard good things about Sarai. And I actually have seen um, a lot of her matches. She's kind of mostly done like her own independent matches. I don't know if you've seen any of those cases, but some of them are quite good. Um, no, I, I have nothing to offer in terms of modern Joshi. I'm I'm completely out to yeah. lunch. I, 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 I don't, I, I I don't really s- either. That's why I asked people, because I was like, yeah. I, I feel like I should just at least mention uh, you know, who's out there. Cause I'm trying to do as comprehensive a report as possible in terms of people that might get mentioned uh, for us. I, I, I follow stardom business, but I don't watch any of it. Why, why would one follow stardom business if they don't watch any of it? Oh, well, you know, I, I hear all these grandiose claims about, you know, being number two promotion in Japan, no. bigger, bigger than dragon gate. I always go, well, let, let me take a look at the numbers here real quick. And uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll see about that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, Cody Rhodes, I think if you're Roman's probably going to suck up a lot of the oxygen in WWE, but I do think Cody, if you wanted to give it to someone in WWE, if you want to say like WWE's had a really hot year, I think Cody would be, have to be the person that gets it. Um, I think he not only has he had the most in ring to offer, but he's also been involved in a bunch of key feuds from, you know, his finished with his Seth Rollins feud to Roman Reigns to Brock Lesnar um i think he's probably had the most complete year out of anybody in wwe overall um i guess you could say like Walter would be up there in terms of in-ring performance but i just don't see him being valued that highly amongst the wwe base that's going to vote in these um even if you even though you could make a case he's probably been the best performer in that company um and the last person i'll add in is is someone who i think has kind of seized the role of kind of the ace of the Japan Japanese independence and that's Fuminori Abe um, who has been really all over the place and I think has kind of replaced I think Daisuke Sakamoto as kind of like the de facto you know top indie wrestler in Japan would you do you have any thoughts on that so he is somebody that I need to do a big catch-up on uh, I love Abe I think he's great I I love what he does I have seen very little of him this year the one match of his that I've seen that really jumped out to me was uh, it was Fujita Hayato and Masaki Mochizuki versus Ikuro Hadaka and Abe for Michinoku Pro. And that match was incredible. But I know there's a whole list of astronauts tags that have been hyped and maybe even some single stuff, but I haven't seen any of that. I've watched no Big Japan this year. So that is on my catch-up as we approach year-end uh, season awards. Yeah, like if you're not following the Japanese indies, and I assume even a lot of my listeners are not doing that, and frankly, I'm not either, Um but he is definitely the guy you hear about the most. And I have seen matches here and there this year that he's had. I think perhaps um, the most famous one that he's had was he had the match against Nomura. That was, I believe, at an independent show, like a like a yes, like a freelance show. Um, I don't know if you saw that match, but that no, is no, I, I I haven't. I I actually completely forgot about it. It's one of those that I meant to watch and I meant to watch and then I didn't, and I would have it completely exited my mind. So I'm glad you brought that up. Now I have to fix that. Yeah, so that that's a match that I think, and it's 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 uh, did you uh, did you come across the uh, the match that people were talking about last week? The, I I it was I don't even forget what promotion it's from. Oh it's, oh, the Kenichiro Rai match. Yes. No, um, I, I I haven't, but I'm. You know, Arise a uh, a Dragon Gate guy, so he, he's you know he works Dragon Gate part time, but he's kind of become this like indie sleaze lord over the last few years. So I haven't seen it. And if it was anybody else on like a Japanese micro indie wrestling a sixty minute match, 
and it got that kind of buzz, I tell you to go fuck yourself. But it's it's Arakan, so I'm 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 gonna watch it. I'm into it because I love him and I support him, and I'm glad that any one of his matches is getting the type of buzz that it's getting. Yeah, and, and Abe's wrestled a lot in All Japan this year. Um, so I know All Japan's basically an indie, but he has been. You know, he just had a singles match with Dan Tamura, which was which pretty good. I don't think it's going to be making anyone's like top ten lists or anything like that. But he's been he's been getting around more and more, and obviously he has kind of you know the balance between. I think like the astronauts are not going to win tag team of the year, um, this year just because I I just can't imagine them ever getting they're they're too low profile in terms of the promotion that they work in, um. But a lot of people that watch a lot of wrestling will tell you that they've been the best tag team this year. And I don't think I'm at really at a place to debate them on that. Um, so I yeah, feel they're, like they're the name on, on voice gate. We've talked a lot recently because I think Susumu and Kanda deserve to be in that conversation. They'll, they'll get my vote this year. I really have loved what they've done. And a few, a few weeks ago, I asked like, Hey, who am I, who am I missing here? Tag team of the year seems also really low. Cause there's, you know, the Bucks have had maybe the weakest year of their career. FTR really, to me, has only had one or two great matches. I was like, all right, who who am I forgetting here? So it's not just Susumu and Kanda. And we were met overwhelmingly with, you know, the astronauts have had such an amazing year. Yeah, I think the, I think the Bucks have actually had a quite a good year, but a lot of it was in trios action. And I don't know how people weigh that. Yeah, that's that's fair. like all those that's great fair. trios matches. I was talking about Kenny Omega being in like in the first quarter of this year. Those, you know, the Bucks were in all of those matches as well. That's true. Um, but I am, but I also think the Bucks are are, are in your, uh, your you know your Okada territory where it's just like, oh yeah, the Young Bucks they're pretty good, right? Remember that? <laughs> yeah, greatest tag team ever, still good. Yeah. Got it. All right, cool. Remember? Yeah, like even like I thought they had a really good match on Dynamite on Wednesday, and it was like right on the heels of a lot of people being like, oh, are the Bucks washed? And I'm like, all right, they just had like a four star match with Commander, so probably not. Yes, no, um, they're, they're not washed. They're just bored, and I yeah. it's unfortunate, but it's the reality of it. Yeah, well, they're going to drag 52-year-old Chris Jericho or 53-year-old Chris Jericho to a to probably a four-and-a-half-star match on Sunday. So I look forward to it. Yeah. Um, all right, that that's it. Is there anyone that we haven't mentioned at all? Um, I try to do as thorough of analysis as possible. I guess I didn't mention anyone from Impact or anyone from AAA. Um, no, I no, I, I I think you're good there. What I about mean, Tyrus? I, you know, no. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I should I say the name Alex Shelley just to give him some recognition? Sure, I, but I... You know, I'm not going to vote for anybody from Impact or especially not AAA. So, no, I mean, I think that covers it because I'm looking through my my list right here. And, you know, I think Mystico is the CMLL name from Talk About. A lot of people might throw in the new Mascara Dorada, and I think he's more of a most outstanding guy. I, I don't look at him as having a, a business pedigree just yet. But by this time next year, that could very easily change. He's probably the only other guy I would mention. Yeah, he he's a star on the rise for yeah. sure. Like I was thinking like who else? Like CML has obviously had a big business. And, you know, we, we talked about Mystico, who'd probably get the bulk with that credit. We talked about Rocky Romero, like maybe like Atlantis Jr. Um, but I think I, lo- I love Soberano. He's he's a guy that I very much enjoy. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Templario earlier. Um, Stuka Jr. Um there's just yes, yeah, so Stuka Jr. I want to see him in AEW. I think he would get over big. He is he is so good at big time singles matches. I I love what he did with Cavanario a few weeks ago, and like I said, that Mystico match from the start of the year that is one of my favorite matches of this entire year. It just it was so satisfying. All right, do you got anything you want to plug? Any any recent projects or or podcast appearance you've been on? Oh my God! Uh, uh, open the voice gate. Look, you know we. We, we talk about 98%, uh, 98% of the time we're talking about Dragon Gate. 
one person at a time. I'm I'm immensely proud of the the work that Mike and I do covering Japan as a whole and the industry there and the the ups and downs, especially post COVID, of the the Japanese wrestling industry. And then there's one percent, you know, Texas Rangers talk and other other assorted bullshit, you know, improv comedy and other stuff that Mike and I like. But uh, open the voice gate on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. I, I really like some of the work we do there. And uh, that that's my primary thing I got going on. You know, maybe I'll do some writing post Hall of Fame season, depending on those results. I don't know just yet, but uh, VoicesOfWrestling.com, you know, we do it better than anybody else. I'm proud to be on this website. I love the work that we do. I love podcasts like this, and I love the podcast that I'm on, Open the Voice Gate. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Case. I appreciate you coming back onto the show. I appreciate appreciate you doing the job for me this time, doing business the right way. Um, <laughs> But thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for all our listeners. Um, Thanks for the continued support of this podcast. And we'll talk to you again in a while. Thanks. Hello, Voices of Wrestling listener. Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show. The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network.